All right, let's go now to Matthew chapter 26. And uh, man, I've been excited about this message all week and woke up excited, tired from last night and all that dancing and uh, all that fun. But man, I am so excited because I believe we in the church today need to hear this message, um, really how the gospel comes into play with our eating and drinking, our work, our physical stuff of life. Uh, They're just moments in history where we need to be reminded of what the scriptures teach and we need to hear the message of, of this passage this morning. And we're really focusing on verse 29 um, in these verses. So I'm not really preaching the Lord's Supper. Um, I'm preaching more than anything, verse 29, that um, I think is a very neglected part of this to show us uh, the connection between what we're going to do on Thursday around the dinner table and the very kingdom of God. So let's look at verses 26 through 29. uh, But verse 29 is our focus. Now as they were eating... Okay, they're at the Passover supper. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And now the focus. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Oh, amazing hope right there. Let's pray that God would open our hearts and minds to it and that I would be faithful to his word this morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have given us your word. We thank you that you are the living word. (laughs) You are the essence of truth. You are truth itself. You are love. And you came in bodily form to show us the connection and the collision between heaven and earth, between glory and all things physical. And so I pray that you would usher us into a deeper, broader, wider understanding and theology of eating and drinking and working and playing and fellowshipping and living in this material and physical world to glory itself and the very gospel that you have lived and died and been raised again to secure for us. So come by your Spirit. We need you this morning, O God. My excitement cannot penetrate our hearts. My excitement cannot separate bone and marrow, (laughs) only your spirit can through your word, speaking through your word. So we are dependent upon you. We beg that you would move in our midst this morning, that we might see the great feast to the point that we would be so excited we would want to tell others and we would invite others to this feast. Oh God, show us the joy of the kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Several years ago, I performed the funeral of my aunt who um, lived and and, um, worshipped in Op, Alabama. Uh, Op Alabama is in L.A. Uh, those you, you from Alabama know what I mean. Lower Alabama is what we mean by L.A. And uh, she went to the first Baptist church of Op Alabama for uh, much, if not most, of her adult life. 
Um, and, and I went in and, and, and I preached the message. I went into the sanctuary. I preached the message. And then afterwards, we, we walked over to the fellowship hall. And the women of the church had made a spread, man. Deep fried chicken, cornbread, biscuits, honey. Um, there were casseroles of every sort you could possibly imagine. Uh, there were black-eyed peas, purple hole peas. There were fresh tomatoes from people's garden in Little Op, Alabama. They threw it down. There was a chocolate pie that had meringue that was just reaching to the heavens, man. It was glorious. And yet, everyone knew the rules in that church. And the rules in that church were you don't take food from the fellowship hall to the sanctuary. Those are two separate rooms. And you're not about, boy, the ladies of the church would wear you out if you were a little boy and you took your plate and thinking you're going to go find a seat in the pew at First Baptist Church, Op Alabama. Because those two are distinct and they are separate. Now, picking on First Baptist Church of Op Alabama, that's, that's basically any church that any of us grew up in, isn't it? And yet what we see in this passage is the complete opposite of that. We see Jesus in the midst of feasting on the Passover meal, bringing a a, a meal, bringing the most sacred meal that we've been celebrating ever since in the most sacred times. Every worship service uh, that it's celebrated builds up to that moment when we come to the table and we take the Lord's Supper. And we do it where? In the sanctuary. And what God is doing and and what he was showing in this passage, especially when he said, I can't wait for the day when we're going to drink of the fruit of this vine. We're going to drink this wine anew. And we're going to do it in the kingdom that God is bringing. Jesus The very living word had been preparing them through the Old Testament for this. There were seven feasts in the Old Testament. And there were many more that the people celebrated. One of the feasts, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, went on for seven days. Seven days of feasting. You think your meal on Thursday is something else. Well, try it for seven days in a row. And you see, the Old Testament believers were so conditioned that they had to make the connection. There was no way for them not to make the connection between all things physical, namely food, and God and worship. God in the Old Testament made the two one in a very um, experiential, regular way. And in the New Testament, what we have to understand is though we don't have all the feast again, and Thanksgiving is not really a religious holiday, it's something that uh, we made up, our forefathers made up, that the feasting of the Old Testament went away in the New Testament not because we are not to make the connection between heaven and earth, but because the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is so significant that it is to be the focus of every meal we eat. The life, death, and resurrection is to be celebrated because every feast of the Old Testament was a feast remembering God's faithfulness and deliverance, His faithfulness and provision. And so now, it's not that we just feast seven times a year, but it's, no, we feast 
all day, every day, and we remember the great salvation of our God. And we experience the great salvation of our God. So what I want to do this morning is I want to show us how we can eat and drink to the glory of God. And it is so exciting that by the end, I think we'll understand that it is such a feast. The Christian life is such a feast that we will want to open our doors and invite the world in. And we will die to see the world come into the the full orb joy of the kingdom of heaven on this earth. So let's look at it. How do we get there? The first thing that we have to understand is that feasting is not the point. It's important, and we're going to get to that, but it is not the point. And why is it not the point? Most of us are probably going to experience that this Thursday. I mean, we're going to get around our table, and we're going to throw down. And so much so that really Thanksgiving is the food. (laughs) If you really get down to it, Chris at our staff meeting this week asked us, you know, what foods are you looking forward to eating? I mean, what is your favorite food at Thanksgiving? For me, it's not the Thanksgiving meal, but it's the meal after the meal. It's that night when I take that smoked turkey and I slice it just so, and I have that wonder white bread, and I put the mayonnaise on both sides, and I put that smoked, you know, turkey on there, and a little iceberg lettuce. This is not a time to be healthy, folks. Iceberg lettuce. I sprinkle a little pepper on it. I put that other side down. I open that fresh bag of Lay's potato chips, just plain Lay's potato chip. I get a carbonated drink like a Diet Dr. Pepper or a Diet uh, Coke and I pour it over the ice and I might as well just go into a closet because I don't need anybody around me. That is Thanksgiving for Richard Reeves. And if you were to take that away from Thanksgiving, it wouldn't be Thanksgiving. I think for Chris, he said his favorite thing um, to eat at Thanksgiving is are not just greens, but the greens cook perfectly and then put on the plate where the juice is kind of flowing into the cornbread. For Rick, I think you mentioned that sweet potato casserole with the brown sugar melted on top and those pecans. For Lucy, it was uh, dressing with giblet, you know, gravy on top. And we just went around and we're all just, I mean, basically what we were saying was, if we don't have that for Thanksgiving, it is not Thanksgiving. And so we'll eat our food on Thanksgiving and it won't take long before we'll all be in a food coma, barely listening to the cowboys or the lions on TV. Because feasting, for most of us, will be overdone and it will be the point of the day. And when food is just the point, it becomes miserable. It becomes a narcotic that lifts you high and then drops you hard. (laughs) It eliminates none of our problems, and yet, man, we can forget about our problems for a time. It's so much more, our eating today, than just nutrition. Food in our day, no doubt, is abused, and I think it's been abused in every, every generation. Um, I was thinking a lot about this, and I do think a lot about this, because in our day, um, there really is a stigma for being overweight. And here's the bad rap about being overweight. People that are overweight, I guess, physically stand out 
in terms of food. But here's the problem. Those that are overweight are not by far the only people that have trouble with food. (laughs) In fact, I did some research this week, and um, Joel Furman, a doctor, says this. He said, genetics do play a role in obesity, and people whose parents are obese have a tenfold increase risk of being obese. A lot of it, folks, is genetics. Because I'm telling you, I out-eat most people I know. And because of the genetics that I have, I must burn it a lot faster or so forth. And in fact, the more you think about it, it's, it's the people who are thin that seem to have the deepest and greatest um, idolatry with food. You think about the extreme of, of thinness, it's anorexia. I did some research on that this week, and this is what I read. At this time, no treatment program for anorexia nervosa is completely effective. That's how deep the idolatry of food when it comes to thinness is in our day. Recovery rates vary between 23 and 50 percent, and relapses range from 4 to 27 percent. Even for those who recover, one study indicated that recovery took between four and nearly seven years. Depending on the duration of the study, anorexic patients have reported death rates ranging from four to 25 percent. Even after treatment and and weight gain, many patients continue to display characteristics of the disorder, including perfectionism and a drive for thinness that could keep them at risk for recurrence. Unbelievable. An unhealthy view of food is idolatry and serious idolatry, and many more of us have issues with food than those that are just obvious, if you will. And I think this is an area that we as the church need to repent. (laughs) Because what we have done, and I've seen this throughout my lifetime, and that is we have made overeating okay. And we've isolated other sins, all right? Jesus made the point that physical food is, is not the point. Uh, he said this in John 6. He said, I am the bread of life. He's speaking to a people that he had just multiplied a few loaves of bread, a few small fish, and thousands, uh, enough to feed thousands of people. And he said, I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. Paul says the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking. Food is not the point. But what is the point? That's what I want us to see. What is the point? And I think this will put, I said last week that if we worship God supremely, then everything else will find its proper place. And it is so true right here. So what is the point? How do we bring Christ in the midst of our eating? How do we bring Christ in the midst of our drinking? How do we bring Christ in the midst of our working and our playing and our fellowship with one another? It's to understand these next two points. Secondly, Christian feasting is about God's goodness. Christian feasting is about God's goodness. The purpose of food outside of simple nutrition in terms of the Christian life is is seen in in Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that God is good. Taste and see that God is good. 
This is precisely what Jesus is giving his disciples an example of. Notice, now as they were eating, verse 26, did you hear that? The Lord's Supper didn't come about in some separate time. As they were eating, Jesus took bread. After blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples. The disciples were eating the Passover lamb and the Passover meal. What is that? It's the time in Israel when Pharaoh had enslaved the people of God and he had sent plagues saying to Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh relented for a time but then kept enslaving them. And then finally, God gets down to the worst thing that he could possibly do to Pharaoh and his people. He told the children of Israel, take a lamb, kill it, and put the blood of the lamb over the doorframe of your houses, because tonight I'm going to send the angel of death in any house that does not have the blood of the lamb on it, the firstborn son from that home will die immediately. And so Israel killed the lamb, put the blood over the doorframe, the angel of death comes over, and everybody else, those who did not have the blood of the lamb on the doorframe of their home, their firstborn son was dead, including Pharaoh's. And so from that point forward, God commanded this feast in which they would eat the lamb and they would remember it was through the blood of the lamb that we had were delivered out of bondage in Egypt. And the Lord's Supper takes over the Passover. (laughs) What does it mean to eat redemptively? What is redemptive eating? It is eating and drinking to remember. You see, some of us that think, ah, food's just not that important to me, and, you know, I don't struggle with... It needs to be important to you. You see, those that minimize food and those that make food you know, an idol in their lives both need to hear this. Those that minimize food need to see that God made it that you might eat and drink and remember. As you taste, as you experience the goodness of that food, you're eating and remembering literally the goodness of God. And those of us that make it idolatry, those of us that that exalt food above Christ, we need to remember that no, it is good, but it's only good when put in its proper place, and that is at the feet of Jesus. That we too might eat and remember the goodness of our God and salvation. That's what Paul means in 1 Corinthians 10.31, where he says, "...whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do to the glory of God." They were debating in the church in Corinth, should we eat meat that's been sacrificed to to an idol? And Paul goes through, he lays down all all these principles, and then he gets to the end, he says, look, here's the deal. Whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Remember, make the connection between heaven and earth, and when you stop doing that, it gets unhealthy. This is why I'm going to take that bird this week and I'm going to base that puppy and I'm going to put it on the green egg and I'm going to have pecan and hickory chips under it and we're going to bring it to perfection and I'm going to open that egg after six to eight, nine hours depending on how big of a turkey I get I'm going to look at it and I'm going to go, glory. 
and I'm going to mean it. Because that's what God would have me do. Thank you, God. You gave me that bird. <laughs> that, that bird was sacrificed so that I could have this moment. I mean, it's, the imagery's all around it. It's so real. Thank you as I eat it. Thank you, God. That you are better than this bird. Feeding redemptively is more than just saying a blessing. I love how Jesus does this. He says two blessings in the middle of this Passover meal. Uh, He takes the bread, he gives thanks, and then he breaks it. He takes the wine, he gives thanks, and then he pours it. Isn't that beautiful? He says two blessings. Now, wait, you can't do that. you got to say it right before the meal or God will curse you. And what we see here is no. It's almost as if they're eating, they're eating that meat, and now just God just, Jesus just breaks into doxology. He just starts praying in the middle of eating. Why? Because Jesus never forgets the connection between heaven and earth. He never forgets who provided it. He never forgets the significance of it. And dear friends, that should be our heart and soul and passion. Some have thought the physical stuff of life less important and lacking any real connection to God. And let me just tell you something. If we don't make the connection between food and drink and work and friendship and the physical stuff of life, whether it's being outside or whatever it is, then we are not going to live a life of worship. You know why? Because we're going to compartmentalize worship to right here. We're going to think that worship is only something we do on Sunday mornings or Sunday nights or Wednesday nights. Worship is, 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 is only happens when we all come together. And what God says is, no, I take the veil of the temple down. And this whole earth is worship. It is a sanctuary. And if we don't remember that, then we are not going to understand why Jesus is somebody we should share with other people. We're just not. Last night, I was talking to a couple in the church, and they asked me this question. They said, Richard, why? tell me the idea behind this dance. I mean, churches typically don't have dances. I love that. I saw a tweet last night. A girl in our church tweeted, um, I've danced the night, something like this, I've danced the night away. I don't know if I can get it in 141 or 142 characters, but uh, this is basically what she said. I danced the night away with the same people that I will worship with the next morning. And I said, that is it. (laughs) Were we celebrating the Lord last night? Or were we just gorging ourselves? See, it all is a matter of what was in your heart. It was all of a matter. That's it. All of life is a sanctuary, and we are to use it for the glory of God. The devil wants you to be just a spiritualist, one who fails to make the connection between heaven and earth. That's what was going on in Colossae. And that's why Paul wrote the letter to those in um, the church in Colossae. And he wrote it 
to tell them... um, Let me get there real quick. He wrote it to remind them that Jesus became man. He took on a physical body. And because of that, what Jesus was doing was he was declaring what God declared at the beginning of creation when he said, looked at his creation and says, it is good. When Jesus became man, he was declaring the same thing, but in a much broader way. Look, I am proving that creation is good because I am God and I'm taking on flesh. Heaven and earth, the spiritual and the physical, are colliding in the very person of Jesus Christ. And in the book of Colossians, in chapter 2, Paul reminds us that Jesus is the one who was full deity and he came in bodily form. Because there were some in the church telling Christians and and, 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 uh, most likely young Christians and new converts that there was a higher plane of spirituality. If you really want to get close to Jesus, then get away from all the physical stuff. Get away from all the, you know, all the worldly stuff. And do stuff just like praying and worshiping. And that kind of set yourself apart to the physical stuff of life. And you know what Paul did? He comes in Colossians 2 and he says, don't let these guys make you feel guilty. In fact, don't even pay attention to them when they say, don't touch that, don't eat that, don't drink that. If you really want to be spiritual, if you really want to be a mature Christian, don't. He says, don't even listen to them. That's false teaching. Because it doesn't have power to restrain the flesh. That's what Paul is saying there. So what does have power to restrain the flesh? is to understand that God has given us his, his creation not to worship and not to despise, but to make the connection between the goodness of what it is and the glory of Christ and his great salvation. Do you understand, are you starting to get a picture of what it might look like for you to taste food, for you to go to work and to do physical labor, for you to go outside and and, and just take a walk, take a hike, sit in your backyard, enjoy the warm sun in the spring when it comes out for the first time, whatever it is, and make the connection between the good, gracious gospel of Jesus Christ with that gift of whatever He's giving you in that moment. You see, heaven and earth is to collide, and we as Christians should be the most passionate people in creation. We should show the world how to party and not make food and drink the God. We should show the world how to eat and not make the eating and not make the meal um, either something that's just insignificant and on the side or something just idolatrous that we worship. We should show the world how to interact with God's creation because it's His creation, it's not theirs. And friends, when we get that, life will become so much fuller. It'll make you want to experience more of what God has in His creation. And it'll give you a passion for the world around you. I see so many young Christians. Throughout my life, I've seen so many little side heresies and little movements of, if you really want to be spiritual, then. And friends, it's not, do I spend a lot of my time in prayer? You should be praying without ceasing. But how can you do that on your knees with your eyes closed when you got to go to work? 
Do you see the connection? How do you pray without ceasing? You go to work and you give God thanks for whatever He's giving you. And you interact with Him in His job because He wants to be right there with you. He wants to be empowering you. He wants to be opening your eyes. He wants you to be interpreting His gospel, realizing that the people you work with are sinful, but so are you. You see, He wants to be applying the gospel and everything. So yes, pray without ceasing. And do you need to get alone on your knees? Absolutely. Do you need to be immersed in His Word? Absolutely. But you also need to be immersed in His creation. And you need to see the connection. Because finally, Jesus is the true feast. We're only going to do this when we understand that Jesus is the true feast. Let me show you how this works. When I was a little boy, my mom and dad um, were still together. Uh, Later they divorced, but... Uh, my mom and dad were together, and we would go to my dad's parents' house for after church or, you know, some holiday or something. And I remember, man, I can smell it. I remember lamb, brown gravy, and these puffy rolls. And, man, I would eat those things as a little boy until there was nothing left to eat. And when I grew older, I found some stuff out about my grandmother. I found out that not everybody thought she was as good as I did. You see, I never as a young boy made a separation between the food that she prepared for me and her. And so when I was older, it was almost, you know, I found out that she was kind of a stuffy old woman. Uh, She wasn't very nice. And I was shocked. Why? Because I associated her with lamb cooked perfectly, brown gravy, and those soft, puffy biscuits that I could just immerse it all in. Would you notice that Jesus is at a feast when He gives Himself to us, the church, and He gives Himself to the apostles? He is at a feast. Why? Because those disciples had been eating and drinking with Him every day for three years. And it would have been strange if all of a sudden He said, Okay, let's leave the table, let's go to the sanctuary and get the holy bread. I mean, it wouldn't have made sense because eating and Jesus were so related. They were inseparably linked with one another. I mean, it's how they understood His goodness in so many ways. And Jesus says this to the apostles, to the disciples, I tell you, men, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine. I can can just see the sorrow and yet not the despondency. I can almost hear the hope, I can hear the longing, I can hear the now, but not yet. I tell you, I will not drink again. That means they're drinking together. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And so what does that mean? It means that eating and drinking with God is is wonderful this side of heaven. It's glorious. But it can't even touch the glory of the wedding feast of the Lamb. 
Do you understand? It's not that heaven is going to be less tangible. It's going to be in some ways more tangible. We're going to be able to experience the goodness of God and His creation because we will not, we will not demoralize or demean His creation and we won't idol, we won't make His new creation idolatry. We will get it and we will never struggle with getting it again. Everything we see, everything that we experience will be directly connected with the Lamb and then the King and our, our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, how free can you imagine how, you know, maybe I'll dance like Scruggs for those who were here last night. Maybe, maybe. Say, Richard, oh, come on, you're just, you're some, this is what Presbyterians are known for. I mean, we know you Presbyterians, that's just what your thing is. Go to Revelation 19 if you have your Bibles. Man, I love this passage. Revelation 19 and verse 6. Then I heard... This is John, you get it. God is, is, is giving John a fast forward of the new heaven and the new earth and glory itself. And so John describes what he sees to us. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Now listen to this. But the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And and the angel said to me, These are the true words of God. And notice John's response. Then I fell down at the angel's feet to worship him. But the angel said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. You see, John sees this massive vision that, man, heaven is a, is a, is a wedding. And it's not some... Some wedding where you just eat a few mints and it is a wedding where the, the Jesus himself has, has done the reception. And we never have to go home. <laughs> and you see what John does? He stands back and he goes, oh, well, that's interesting. He falls to his feet and he wants to worship the messenger. And the messenger, the angel says, get up. No, 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 no. I'm not the good one. Jesus Christ is the good one. You go worship Him as you think about that feast. Dear friends, there is... When we are tempted by the pleasures of the world, we need to remember Revelation 19. It's not... It's not that the, the pleasures of the world are not tempting. It's that they just fall short of what God has in store for us. Do you get that? Say that the next time to yourself when you were tempted to look on the uh, to look at internet porn say that to yourself the next time that you go into debt to buy something because you think you just can't live without it say you know what it's good that is good guess the porn is not good make that clear <laughs> 
but oh, what God has in store for me and what I'm really looking for when I look at the porn, what he has in store for me is so much better. Do you see how this can create longing? And then I have to qualify all this with one quick thing. I have seen my brothers and sisters, and I have been... um, my Reformed brothers and sisters, and I've been guilty of this too. Uh, something just stood out to me this week. I went to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And it just came to me as I was working on this because um, the church at Corinth, they were abusing the table of the Lord, the Lord's Supper. And Paul writes to them, and I want you to listen to what he, what he said. He said, when you come together... It's not the Lord's Supper that you're eating. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. Wait a minute. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not, Paul says. Do you know what eating and drinking the Lord's Supper in Corinth in an unworthy manner look like? It's to do so with just an eye to yourself and not those in need around you. It's to forget love. You see, this is how we desecrate our Thanksgiving table this week. We go, we feast, and we think about nobody else. Instead of going and looking at that food and saying, I would not have this food if it were not for God himself. He gave me the breath. He gave me the job. He gave me the permission. I mean, the provision. He gave me the table. He gave me this house. He gave me whatever it is. How in the world can I just hoard it to myself? This is why I really, 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 really love our advanced Memphis lunch Because there are literally people that will eat on Wednesday that will not eat on Thursday. Dear friends, that's not just some side little mercy thing. If we're not doing that, then we don't understand the gospel. If we're not feasting with the stranger, if we're not feasting with the hungry, then we are just hoarding and it's all about us. And Jesus said, you don't understand the depth of my gospel and my love for you and my sacrifice for you. Oh, we should want the world to come in and experience this feast. Is the feast the forgiveness of sins? Absolutely. Is the feast the reality that Christ has given us a righteous standing before the Father? Absolutely. But is the feast also the reality that because we are forgiven, because we are declared righteous, we can now fellowship with God over meal and drink and work and His creation? Absolutely. And the two should not be separated. Is that your Christian understanding of the gospel? May it be so today. Go listen to this time and time again if this is strange to you. Go to passages like Revelation. See how tangible and physical our hope is. You see, the redemption that He has bought for us in His own body is really entrance into the feast. And 
feasting with Jesus in the midst of all of His love, in the midst of His presence forever. Oh, dear friends, may downtown church get this right. And may we be a church that is known for eating and feasting and dancing to the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You that the gospel touches everything. We thank You that You have forgiven us of our sins. You've made us righteous before You so that now we can live in relationship and the ordinary mundane stuff of our lives. And so, Father, this week, whether it's a little chicken leg or whether it's half a turkey, I pray that whatever You provide for us, that we would eat and drink to the glory of God. Oh, Father, help us to be repenting while we're eating. Help us, oh God, to turn our face away from our idolatry, however that looks. But, Father, help us to acknowledge that you are the one who is the feast, and the feast is waiting, and you're at the table, and you cannot wait for the feast that will go on forever in glory. Make our hearts glad. Oh, God, make our hearts determined to let go of this world to sacrifice whatever we must sacrifice to ensure that we enjoy that day and enjoy that feast. Lord Jesus, open the heart of one in this place, many in this place that have never known you, God. Give them eternal life and revive the rest of our souls that have become hard and crusty. God, make our hearts in love with you today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.